Fantastic song, Rick. <laughs> Brings back some memories. That's always been one of my favorites. I, I can recall a number of years ago uh, when I was much younger, and our youngest son, uh, I think we're still living at home, so we went down to uh, Cocoa Beach for spring break with him and allowed him to take some of his friends with him. <laughs> I'm not sure that turned out to be such a good idea. But I can recall, I, I'm a very early riser. And of course, uh, my wife and the three guys were all packed in this one big room. Uh, I'm out walking on the beach, Cocoa Beach, probably six o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, I start singing, He is Lord. I'm singing it out loud. I'm walking for a long time, just singing, everybody who was out kind of looking at me like, what in the world <laughs> is with this guy? But you know, this is a marvelous truth. He is Lord, he's risen from the dead. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And of course, that'd be in spring break, it was at Easter time, so it was very appropriate to be singing that song. So thanks uh, for bringing back that Great memory. I haven't sung that song for quite some time. I guess it's going to be back in my repertoire. Get ready, dear. Try to be here. And I don't sing nearly as well as I used to either. <clears throat> okay, uh, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23 now for the seventh statement of Christ on the cross. And whereas many of the other statements... Um, you know, kind of broke your heart and at the same time caused you to rejoice because we know it was all a part of what was necessary for the work of redemption to be accomplished. Uh, the statement before us tonight uh, is something that should really encourage our hearts, probably more than anything else that we've been talking about up to this point. And this seventh statement is found in Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, and what did he cry out with a loud voice? It is finished. It says here, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You know, these words uh, were an act of contentment. Up to this point, there was no contentment, but at this point, there is. They're words of faith. Uh, they're words of confidence and of love as the Savior committed his spirit, which was to be separated from the body to his Father. At this point, it's a, just a beautiful picture of victory. And, you know, Scripture reveals man as being spirit, soul, and body. And this in itself can be somewhat confusing. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, again in chapter 2, verse 7, of course, we go back to creation. And, of course, we find in creation that he created us with a body, with a soul, and with a spirit. All three aspects are involved there. Now, many of the, uh, uh, the God of peace we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself, 
sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord. Thank you. To the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the words soul and spirit are sometimes used interchangeably in Scripture. I'm just going to give you two passages which show the word that is used there. One is 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. We're not going to take time to turn to that, but if you read that verse, it will mention spirit. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, it will mention the word soul. And if you go to the original language, it's the same word in both of those passages. So the idea here is there are times where soul and spirit are sometimes used interchangeably in Scripture. However, when it comes to the burial and the resurrection, there's a distinct difference between the two. And some of the more well-known passages are 1 Corinthians 15, 44, but I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 for just a moment, just to give you one reference here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You will notice here that the soul and the spirit are two different entities in this particular passage. And we find that as we talk about the burial, the resurrection, of the human body, there's a distinct difference between the soul and the spirit. Now, the spirit seems to be, and again, it's difficult sometimes to explain these things. I don't think I'm the only one who has difficulty explaining these things. The body, soul, and the spirit, we know what the body is, that's pretty logical. The soul and the spirit, we're not quite so, you know, up on that in our own thinking and so forth. But you know, when you think about it, the spirit as you look at creation and so forth seems to be the highest point or part of our complex being. It is that which particularly distinguishes man from the beast. A beast has a soul, but a beast does not have a spirit. The human being has a body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit, of course, as we're emphasizing here, seems to distinguish man from the beast. The spirit is that which links us to God. And I did a lot of researching trying to come up with a good explanation of these things. And one of the best I found was just Schofield's comment on this, and I'll just share it with you. He says, the difference between... The two terms seems to be that the spirit is that which knows God, is capable of God consciousness and communication with God, whereas the soul is the seat of the affections, the desires, the emotions, and the will of man, end of quote. You see, the soul is basically, from my understanding, is us, is what we are individually, 
all of us are unique souls, you know, personality, everything about us. We're all different, but we all have a soul. But, you know, beasts have souls as well. They're beings. But you see, when it comes to the spirit, God consciousness. You know, man has the capability of having consciousness towards God. If you go back to creation, you know, he made us out of clay, formed a body. And he breathed into him, that body, a breath of life, spiritual life. And the man became a living soul, a living being, unique in his own way. But the difference being that the human being has the spirit. An animal does not. Now, I just emphasize this particular point because, you see, as we look at our particular uh, passage, what did he commit to the Father? His spirit. Not his soul, not his body. He committed his spirit to God, the Father. That which linked him to God. And, you know, that's what links us to God. It's the fact that we have been given a spirit that is capable of communicating, being conscious of God. And, you know, we know that this is ingrained because all over the world, people worship a God of some kind. They understand and recognize the need. There is something they don't know what it is, many of them, most of them, but they know that there is a higher type of being or power that is beyond themselves. And they seek to reach out to that being or whatever in whatever way they can. Well, praise God, we know who that God is. He's the only living and true God. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one we're talking about here in this final statement of his. He's already accomplished what he was sent to do, and now he's dismissing his soul, or excuse me, his spirit, to his heavenly Father. Now, he has accomplished everything he was sent to do. You know, in the garden, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be, be passed or drained for me. Well, now it has been drained. At this point in time, the cup he prayed about has been dealt with. He drained it. The wrath of God upon his sin of the world had been endured. You know, while we read in Peter, he bore our sins penalty and guilt and the wrath of God in his own body on Calvary's tree. At this point, that's already been done. Also, once more, we find that the darkness is past for th three hours, complete darkness, while the wrath of God fell upon the sun for our sin. The darkness is gone. All of this now is behind him. And once again, we now see him in communion with the Father, never to be broken again. 
I mean, it's, it's just a marvelous thought when you really stop and begin to visualize what's taking place here. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That which connected him to God. And here we see Christ's yieldedness to God. You know, how evident this was throughout his whole life as the son of man. You know, it just didn't start at this point in time. You know, it was not natural affection that caused him to finish the work the Father has sanctified and sent him to do. Why did he do it? To bring glory to God. That's why he did it. And as I thought about this, you know, he had voluntarily yielded himself to be delivered into the hands of sinners that the work of atonement might be accomplished. And having done so, he now voluntarily, voluntarily yields and delivers his spirit into the hands of the Father. Now, keeping in mind, again, the voluntary aspect of this thing, you know, this and much more he reveals his absolute dependence upon God and the blessed intimacy that they had one with another. You know, in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, he mentions this two times. Uh, you don't have to necessarily turn to it. I have it marked here. So I'll just read, but in, in John chapter 17, verse 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. You know, we don't think often enough of what it must have been like before the beginning of time and all that began. Here's the Godhead together. Beautiful harmony. Union. I mean, we can't even visualize it, really. But he's expressing to his father reminiscing about those times that he was together. And then we go over to verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me. Now we know directly he was speaking of the disciples, but indirectly he's speaking of all disciples. All of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are disciples, learned ones concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. I desire they also whom you gave me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. You see, all of a sudden, he's back in this statement to where he was before the foundation of the world in that relationship with his heavenly father. And as you contemplate this even further, you know, the Savior committed his spirit into the hands of his father in death because it had been in his father's hands all through his life. You know, we don't think about that. But, you know, he never was out of his father's hands with the exception of when? For the three hours. I mean, you see, he was separated 
from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as I thought about that, you know, what an example is laid before us here. You know, you and I have been reconciled, brought into harmony with the Holy God. And it's been only possible through what? The atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What took place on Calvary's cross. Fully yielded. Have you fully yielded yourself to God? You know, he totally yielded himself in every way and forth into his Father's hands to do what the Father wanted him to do. Totally in life. And now we see him in death. Once again, he's yielding himself into the Father's hands. And as I thought about that, it really kind of pricked my heart because, you know, I've known the Lord Jesus Christ a lot of years. And he's blessed me in so many ways. Yes, in some ways I have sought to be living a life pleasing to him, uh, to serve him faithfully. I've failed quite miserably in all honesty. And yet, you know, it's, have I ever fully understood and realized how important it is to really yield myself to my Heavenly Father? You know, many times uh, in most places, we just hear the word God. Uh, more often, we hear just Jesus. And yet, how many times we neglect and acknowledge who? The Father. And yet, you know, every time we pray, and I, and I rejoice in this and thank the Lord for it, as we gather at the Lord's table, it's amazing almost all prayers are lifted up to the Father, to worship the Father in and through who? The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he sent sanctified and sent to do the work of redemption. You know, the question I want to ask you, because I had to ask myself, are you living for the glory of him who loved you and gave himself for you? Are you? Are you even really concerned about it? And you say, well, yeah, I'm concerned about it. Yeah, to what degree? To what degree? You know, we learn here from this statement, he is total deliverance, yieldedness to the Heavenly Father. He did it throughout his life, and now as he's still going to take his last breath, he's yielding his spirit to the Father. You know, we're told in Scripture that we are to walk daily, in daily dependence upon him, knowing that without him, we can do absolutely nothing. You know, in John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, If ye abide in me, abide means a very close relationship. And my word abides in you, ye will bear fruit. Fruit for the glory of God. But then he says, point blank. Without me, ye can do nothing. 
You know, throughout the Lord Jesus Christ's life, yes, he was the God-man, but he was in communion with his Father all the time. He was in his Father's hands all the time. Everything he did was with the Father's will in mind. How about you and me? There's a real lesson for us to learn here in our life. Because you see, someday, what happened to the Lord here in this statement is going to happen to us as well, who are in Christ Jesus. Now, as we look at this a little bit more carefully, here we're going to see the absolute uniqueness of Christ's death. The uniqueness of it. The Lord Jesus died as no other man or woman has ever died. So different. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down of himself. We know from John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, he made it very clear to those who were after to kill him. And they made it very well known. We want to kill you. <laughs> he says, no man's going to take my life from me. No man. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it again, which he did at his resurrection. All right? How unique his death was. No one took his life. He laid it down. He himself, in his death, controlled the entire situation. And as I thought about the uniqueness of his death, of course, we read the passage here in Luke, and of course, it simply says there that he committed his spirit to the Lord. And notice the, what the word commit means. We understand what the word commit means. It's an action. Uh, if I commit myself to something, it's a voluntary thing that I do. I don't have to commit myself to anything. Most of the decisions we make, we make as a commitment to do what we're asked to do. It's a voluntary choice. If I don't want to do it, I say, no, I'm not going to do that. But if I say, I will commit myself to do that, see, I willfully will do it. And in essence, that's what he's just willfully doing. He's just committing his spirit to the Father. Mark's account reads this way in Mark 15, 37. Jesus breathed out his spirit. Now, breathing out is a passive action of his own. Now, think about this. He breathed out. Just, I want you to stop thinking, and just for a moment, I want you to breathe three times. Just breathe like you normally breathe. Emphasizing the out. Now, how much energy did that take? See, it's, it's just a natural thing to breathe out. And this one really spoke to me because I had the privilege, and I consider it a privilege, to be with my grandmother, dear godly woman, when she breathed out her last breath. I was a relatively young man. I think I was dating Pat about that time. And she was in a coma in the hospital, and we would go and take turns to go and sit by her. 
And now became my turn. So I went into the room and took her hand and said a few little things once in a while, you know, Grandma, I love you, and this type of stuff. But basically, I just sat there. And she, and she was deep, uh, breathing deeply, in and out. And that's all you could hear in the room, is deep, heavy breathing. And all of a sudden, she breathed in, and she breathed out. And there I sat, and it was dead silent. And I praise the Lord for that moment, because I realized something. Her last breath, now she didn't do that voluntarily. You see, that last breath was not something she determined she was going to do at that moment in time. But it spoke to my heart very clearly, just that quick. Grandma's with the Lord. She breathed out her last breath. But again, think about what he's saying here. This is how yielded and submissive he was to the Father. He just breathed out his last breath and was with the Father. He did it voluntarily when he chose to do it. And then we read another passage. In Matthew 27, 50, Jesus yielded up or dismissed his spirit. See, all of these little adjectives we're saying are such simple things. We know what it means to dismiss something. You know, as a school teacher, of course, in high school, the bell dismissed the kids. But when I taught at some college classes, you know, where there was a timetable, but when I was done, I just would say, class dismissed. And where they went. He dismissed his spirit. And then we have in John 19.30, Jesus gave or delivered up his spirit. We know what the word delivered means. When you deliver something, it's delivered. UPS is a good example. They come and throw the thing on the porch, it's delivered. If you happen to be there, they hand it to you. Here. They deliver it. It's done. It's an action. And here it says, he delivered up his spirit. You see, his death is absolutely unique, like no other death. Because you see, no one took his life from him. It had come time now, it was finished. He breathed his last, and in breathing out, he dismissed himself to his heavenly Father. Oh, the uniqueness. You see, he endured the judgment of God against the sins of all mankind, and then he died. When his work here that he was sent to do was finished, he breathed out. He delivered, he committed his spirit to his heavenly father. A complete satisfaction must be offered to God's outraged holiness, and it had been done. He had taken care of everything. The work was finished, and now it was time to once again be 
in his father's presence. Another thing I just want to mention. Here we see the assurance of eternal security that takes place and what takes place in the life of a believer's at the time of death. He commits himself into his father's hands. Now just think about that. Can you think of any safer place to be than in your heavenly father's hands? Just think about it. He delivered himself, committed himself into his father's hands. Speaks of assurance, eternal security. You know, there are people who don't believe in eternal security. Well, I'll tell you, you can't be any more secure than in your father's hands. And, you know, we read in Scripture, Jesus said, My father which gave them me is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Now, if you go back, this is in John 10, 29. If you go back to verse 27, he says, No one is able to pluck them out of my hand. That's the Lord's hands. Now he adds to it. (laughs) My Father is greater than me. And no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands hands. Now, some people say, well, you can jump out yourself. Oh, no, you can't. When you're in the Lord's hands and the Father's hands, you are secure. Nothing can take you out of the Father's hands. And as I thought about this aspect of assurance and eternal security, this is what takes place in the life of every believer at death. Now, death is not something that we should really fear. Now, when I say that, I understand. Maybe when we think of death, being afraid is maybe a little bit better word. You know, no one has ever experienced it and come back and told us about it. So there is a certain amount of fear in that respect of just not knowing what that experience is going to be. But to fear death as a believer, there's nothing to fear. Because you see, just as what took place here, in this day, Father, into thy hands I commit. I yield. I breathe out my spirit. And in that instance, his head went down. He was up with the Father. And, of course, Paul tells us, you know, what's the greatest thing is to be absent from the body. And then what? You're present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And it all happens that quick. The only difference is we don't determine when that's going to happen. He does. And I'm happy with that. I'm glad it's in his hands. 
What better place to have it? My life is in his hands. And yes, there's a day that I'm going to find myself in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the rapture, or in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at death. Now, that's how the rapture is explained very quickly. But you know, the truth of the matter is, as I watch my grandmother take her last breath, knowing the godly woman she was, I knew in that instant she was absent from that body and present with the Lord that quick. Isn't this a marvelous thing to kind of end on here? You know, when you look at the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, you have the, the gospel message so vivid, so clear, so wonderful from beginning to end. Oh, yes, a lot of terrible things had to happen to him to make this final thing become a reality. He has finished the work. I am assured that I am saved in Christ. I have assurance that someday I will be in the Father's presence. And of course, as you think about this, how do I know that? Well, the basis of our insurance, I think, in 1 Peter 1.5, he says, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto a complete salvation. See, salvation, when we talk about salvation, it deals with the past. My sin question is dealt with. It deals with the present, my sanctification, my walk with the Lord. It's all being dealt with by him. And it deals with my glorification. This is a full and complete salvation. You know, when Paul said that his, you know, what is better to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, he still wasn't going to be totally satisfied with just being absent from the body and present with the Lord in his spirit. What was he really looking forward to? Well, the rapture. When the soul or the spirit and the body are now joined together. And, you know, it's interesting in Scripture, you know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But you see, at the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, we read, those who believe in Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died in Jesus. Who is God or Christ going to bring with him? All these disembodied saints. Do you know how many there are? You know, I, I just got thinking about that not too long ago as I was looking at this, but even more so since I've been kind of reviewing this. You know, how many people have been born again, born anew, in Christ, going back to biblical times? How many people who are in Christ have died? And the moment they died, what happened to them? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. How many? Oh, it has to be untold millions, probably billions. And they're all there waiting, looking forward to the day 
And when the rapture comes, here comes all those with him. Who are those who come with him? Those disembodied saints. And they're going to be preceding us who might be alive at that time. You see, they will descend down and be united with their resurrected, glorified bodies. Then we who are alive will be changed into our glorified bodies. And together we will go up to be with the Lord. But you see, this all happens in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, you can't understand it, you can't explain it, but God's word says it, I believe it. It's a marvelous thing what took place here. Here we see the truth and the fact of communion with the Father in the hour of death. Our Savior dismissed his spirit to his Father as he bowed his head and died. As his head slumped, he was with the Father. But I want to remind you of something. That happened to somebody else that day. Who was that? The thief that accepted the Lord. You know, he said to that thief, because he knew the, the thief's heart, and he understood that the thief understood enough that he belonged to Christ, because he says, he, in fact, the man said, and I think I probably mentioned this, Lord, you cannot call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit of God. Scripture tells us that. This thief, he said, today, you will be with me in paradise. And by the end of that day, somebody else breathed out his last breath. Now, he didn't do it on his own. He didn't determine the thief. But when that time came, when his last breath came, he was with the Lord in paradise. And Rick asked me, well, where's paradise? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's things we can talk about. But the bottom line is, to me, it's very simply, it's where the Lord is. That's where paradise is. It's where the Lord is. And I'm looking forward to being with the Lord. You know, you look at what took place here in this last statement. What comfort. What assurance. What security. What a blessed hope we have. The work of Christ is finished. He's with the Father. And you can only imagine what that reunion must have been. I mean, we can't talk about it because he's God. We, you know, we're way above our heads when we start talking about those types of things. His ways are way above our ways. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts. All we can do is take from what we have from his word and try to absorb it. But the bottom line is what took place on this day? Two people, and that's it, two people, went to be in paradise. One, because he determined his time. And he breathed out his last voluntarily and just went to be with the Father. The thief, when he breathed his last breath, he went to be with the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
No wonder we can say comfort one another with these words. You know, as we close this little series, you know, what a blessed hope is ours who are in Christ Jesus as a result of the words we had tonight. But don't forget all the other words because all of them were necessary, absolutely necessary. And as you just go back, and I hope you will, now we haven't exhausted this, but you go back and really focus on each one of the sayings of Christ on the cross and you get the complete picture of the whole plan of salvation that was determined before the foundation of the world. And it was through Christ. God the Father sending God the Son into this world for this purpose. And when we get to statement number seven, the perfect complete number in scripture, well, it's all done perfectly. It's all done completely. The work of redemption is finished. And all that lies before us now for those of us who are in Christ Jesus is someday we're going to be with him. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. How do we know that? Well, we just read why it's a guarantee. <laughs> he was accepted into the Father's presence. The thief was accepted into the Father's presence. Why wasn't the other thief accepted into the Father's presence? He rejected the Son. Only two types of people, Christ rejectors, Christ acceptors. I don't know all of you well enough to know if I can honestly say everybody here is going to be in glory. I think I can say the vast majority of those here will be because you're in Christ Jesus. If you're not, don't delay another moment. <laughs> it's just not worth it. You don't know how many more moments you really have when you breathe out your last breath. Praise God. He lifted up his spirit and gave it to his heavenly Father. And someday we'll be with him. May the Lord bless these few thoughts. I hope they've been helpful and enough that nothing else to encourage you to really dig into it even deeper. And just to really focus and rejoice on what we have in and through the person and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we truly thank you and praise you again for your beloved Son and our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for these seven sayings that have been recorded in your word from the Lord himself as he hung on that cross. We must confess our inability really to totally understand, let alone speak of these things in a manner that we can totally understand and appreciate all that you have done for us, but we know enough to know that we are safe and secure in our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that the work of redemption is over. His pain and suffering has ended. He is once again in glory with his heavenly Father. We look forward to that day when we too 
shall be in glory with our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the meantime, may we be faithful servants as we look forward to that day when we stand before you. Our desire is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. How we long for that day. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us to our various homes in safety, we pray. We ask a blessing upon this assembly and for each one who fellowships here. We commit them to your care and keeping. May they continue to remain faithful to you and to your word and rejoice in the greatness of that one who loved us all and gave himself for us. Accept our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.